Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, March 31st, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. He is social distancing at home. I'm social distancing at home, and we both just finished watching The Scheme on HBO, the Christian Dawkins documentary. Now, as you know, if you're a regular listener, Norlander had already seen it. I just saw it for the first time. Norlander, why did you not alert me mm-hmm. to the fact that my voice is in the opening of the documentary? I wasn't prepared for that. I'm just like sitting here. I'm looking at my computer, like typing some stuff. And next, th- next thing I know, I hear myself talking out of my television. I had to look up and I actually really did rewind it. I was like, was that? I think that was me. It sounds like me. It was clearly me. Why didn't you alert me? Because I wanted you to, I I know, I wanted you to discover this. I was hoping no one would tell you beforehand. I actually thought someone was going to get to you and let you know, hey, GP, by the way, you're uh, you're in the documentary, but I didn't want to tell you. And so, and so there you have it. Uh, But yeah, just a quick, I think, I don't know this for sure, but when I watched the screener, I did rewind it. I, I am led to believe, like, it could have been you on HQ. It could have been you on your radio show. I think they pulled it from the podcast, personally, but I don't have that for sure. Uh, but there you go. Yeah, you're within the first, like, two, three minutes of the documentary, and you basically, I think you, you say, Christian Dawkins is a con man wannabe agent, and I think that's how <laughs> no, they I don't think I said that. I think I said he's a sketchy wannabe agent, something, something like, like that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, if I could um, rephrase it, I probably would. <laughs> But at the time, that's the way he came across to me as a sketchy wannabe agent. It is what it is. Okay, so I've mentioned a few things previously on podcasts uh, about this because I watched the doc. I wrote a, a column about it. You can go find it on CBSSports.com if you haven't already. But since you just watched it, we are literally minutes removed from you having watched this thing. And I assume you typed a few things down as, as I did when I watched it. Um, floor is yours, man. Uh, impressions of, of the documentary, your biggest takeaways, what are they? Well, uh, three takeaways, I guess. And uh, I'll just give them all to you, and then we'll take them one by one. Um, first, I thought it was good. I, you know, I'm I'm monitoring social media, Twitter, while I'm watching it, and some of our friends, colleagues in uh, the industry, were kind of crapping on it a little bit, like it's boring or it's a waste of time or it doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, listen, I, I don't know that it accomplishes anything. I didn't really learn much, given that I've been talking and writing about this for years, covering the sport for two decades, but I was reasonably entertained like I don't think it's going to win an Oscar but I thought it was good and my wife I didn't even realize she was watching it I I just uh, we were all downstairs as a family and I told her hey I've got to go upstairs watch this podcast take some notes and then we're going to do podcast or whatever but she came up probably three quarters of the way through it and she was like it's good isn't it so even my wife who doesn't care at all about basketball um, she was entertained by it so I, I thought the documentary was better than some people seem to to think uh, to each their own uh, second thought very easy to see how christian dawkins became christian dawkins like he's an incredible talker he's um confident he's composed he's uh, like th- those personality traits and those communication skills that is the way you become what christian dawkins was becoming and i thought that just jumped right out of the television like um i can see how he became what he was. I think it was easy for anybody to see how he became connected in so many ways um, at a relatively young age. He, he knew how to talk to people. That's a gift. Um, and then the, the, the main takeaway is that there were a million red flags for him to know he was getting set up. He even, as he's retelling the story, or, or even like on the wiretaps at some points, he's like, man, this doesn't make any sense, or this seems too good to be true. The idea that he just ignored all of those red flags, I, I know why I think he did, and we'll get into that momentarily, but I, there's just a million of them where, uh, with the benefit of hindsight and perhaps in real time, he should have known that this this wasn't on the up and up. But let's go back to point number one. I, I thought the documentary was good, enjoyable. Won't win an Oscar, but I wasn't bored watching it. What did you think of it? I agree. I was not bored watching it. I think I yeah, I, I was I wasn't watching most of it here because I had seen it and I was just getting some other work done, but I did have Twitter open and so I was curious to see who was going to respond, how they're going to respond among people that hadn't seen it before. Also got just a few texts. I got a few texts from coaches and once it got to the uh the wiretap stuff which we'll get to eventually <laughs> one coach said this is a direct one he goes let's get this carousel back rolling baby <laughs> like, <laughs> okay um i did think that it was a fairly well done documentary in this regard specifically when 
like we have talked, I mean, Parrish, I want to say we've spent maybe like as many as 40 hours on this podcast over the past two and a half years talking about this, maybe even more. We've written countless words about it. We've gone on television to speak about it. And there are so many tentacles attached to this thing. And I thought the filmmaker did a good job in a two-hour window of uh, capturing so much and a lot of the problems. It's just a, it's a cumbersome thing. So I thought it was good and maybe a little slow at the start. You got a lot of like how Dawkins became who he became. There's a not insignificant portion to this and him tragically losing his brother. Uh, to a heart condition, he collapsed on the court literally at a camp at Michigan State. So uh, that helped set up, you know, putting him on the track that he was put on. Uh, but no, I found the documentary informative. Was it this huge peelback on the real story? I guess not. But I thought that it was good. And yes, Dawkins himself makes for a compelling, if not problematic, narrator. And I think the biggest flaw with the documentary and it's it it really becomes obvious i think gp about 60 or 70 minutes in you realize oh okay like you have dawkins you have his attorney haney you have a whole lot of our buddy dan wetzel who does a great job on it but man there's a whole lot of wetzel in it you get his parents early there's like one clip of fred van vliet and you're like wow there are just not a lot of people involved that did sit-downs with the filmmakers because of this. And because of that, GP, I think that's where the documentary suffers a bit. If you were able to get two, four, six more different people, who obviously, for many reasons, obviously didn't speak with it, then it would have been even stronger. What they couldn't get, they make note at the end, uh, they asked the FBI to talk, wouldn't, no surprise. Yeah. They asked the Southern District of New York to talk, wouldn't. They asked Sean Miller, they asked Will Wade. Nobody wanted any part of this, right? Yeah. Um, because it, there's Because you really come away nobody looks great like no nobody looks great i mean they, they they certainly present it as you know poor christian dawkins got um pushed into doing things he didn't even really want to do and it was uh, basically entrapment or, or at least you could argue it was entrapment so they you know it's it's filmed in a way that tries to make it out like you know he's no angel but like did he really deserve to be a convicted felon but then the fbi looks you know, ridiculous. Um, the college coaches obviously look ridiculous. Like nobody comes out of it looking well. And so I think, you know, you just don't want to be a part of it unless you're like Dan Wetzel. Um, you know, then, then you can provide, um, you know, the perfect sound bites to go with the story that they're telling because Dan is, is, is well versed, if not better versed than, than, than anybody in the country on, on these topics. He's literally written books about them. But, I will say, like, I don't, I don't really, I don't know Christian Dawkins. If I've met him, I don't have much of a recollection of it. Like, we, we, we don't have a, a relationship. I will say, watching that, and perhaps this is a minority opinion, but my first thought was, I would like that guy if I knew him. He would be somebody I would like. And that's why when I said earlier, if I could rephrase the way I described him in that clip that popped up in the documentary from wherever it was, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it that way. I, 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 he seems like a sharp guy. I, he seems like he seems like somebody I would like. Perhaps that says something bad about me, <laughs> but um, there are, and I guess this is the, the the comparison that some people would throw around, like a next generation William Wesley. Like I do have a relationship with Wes. I've known Wes for nearly 20 years. I like William Wesley. I like being around him. I like talking to him. I find him funny. I find him charismatic. I find him compelling. I find him smart. And there, Christian does have a lot of those, um, a lot of those same qualities. Yes, but I do think the documentary and our buddy Brian Snow, who knows the recruiting scene uh, <laughs> as well as really just about anyone who does it, Snow, don't let this go to your head. I know you listen to the podcast, but. He did make mention. I don't think. I think he made this prediction before we even saw the documentary, and he was accurate. He said the documentary is going to put Christian Dawkins in a light that is going to make him seem like a larger person in the college recruiting space than he actually was. I do think that is fair. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but by very nature of of just him getting caught up in this, being arrested, being uh, a central figure of two federal trials. that's just going to happen. I mean, he's just going to come off that way. Um, but I thought the documentary was fair in um, 
also providing like important context in terms of like like Christian Dawkins never talked to Sean Miller before DeAndre Ayton had committed to Arizona, which brings it to light, you know, the issues with the original ESPN report and and so on and f- so forth. But um, listen, Dawkins has some in- incredible quotes. There's no doubt about it when he's talking about like he's he gets uh, initially arrested and he's in the same. Uh, I guess he's. I'm guessing he's at. I'm riffing GP. I'm guessing he's at Rikers when he's in the same. No, build. I would. I I actually don't think it would be Rikers. Where was he? He was at, El Chapo. Was in the same building. Right. But I think if it's El, where El Chapo was, Maybe I think that's also where Jeffrey Epstein eventually was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So anyway, he has a he has a funny quote about <laughs> about that. He's got a couple of actually fairly. Uh, no, the El Chapo quote was a LOL moment for me. Like I laughed out loud. The quote is more or less, um, you know, I, I ask who's in here and his cellmate says El Chapo's upstairs. And he's like, no disrespect to El Chapo and what they got going on. But I got to get the F out of here. He wanted to be make wanted to make it very sure he make it very clear. He wasn't disrespecting El Chapo. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, so and I also I also thought the documentary did a a good job providing, I think, appropriate context that never came into the reporting at the trials because it was never presented in court. And that like the FBI also like the FBI does not come off looking goodness the government doesn't come off looking good and the fbi had an agent taken off the case the wall street journal previous report and actually the reporter is featured in the documentary uh of misappropriated funds and so the jury never knows any of this stuff and had it known uh now listen the defense wanted that in part in court and the judge said this is not relevant and so it never happened just the same way a previous judge in the previous trial said uh, the realities of recruiting and, and expectations of coaches, et cetera, et cetera, and NCAA rules being broken, it doesn't, it's not relevant to this. We might think that it is, but uh, esteemed judges who handle all sorts of cases and, and certainly know what they're talking about in many cases interpreted that to not to be the case. So I was happy to see the documentary at least address that point as well because um, when you mentioned the red flags – one thing that was like genuine news to me that I wasn't aware of was when they get to a certain point with the with the undercover agents, particularly De- Jeff D'Angelo, and they've got its moral code has been charged. And they've got suspicions about like I want to know background on this guy, so they actually try and get it done, but because to just to see if there's something if there's something that they should know about this guy that they don't. And it was actually on a wiretap call from July 24, 2017, where they do that. And Code says, I'm looking up Jeff D'Angelo and can't find nothing on him. And that shit is really concerning me. So he gets the PI, does Dawkins. They do the background check. But the very nature of the background check is set up to fail. Because even though Dawkins has some sort of connection with the FBI, it comes up clean obviously because they're undercover agents and so while they got so close to being like ah you know what something's not right here they trust their pi's info and say oh okay it went back from the fbi he must be good and then they they were just dead in the water after that point right and so the three takeaways the second one was is easy to see how christian dawkins became christian dawkins um we've covered that so let's just move on to the red flags to me that is the most like, oh my God, what are they doing? A moment throughout the documentary, because like a million times, Christian Dawkins is on a wiretap saying, this don't make any sense. I don't know what this guy's doing. There's one point where Jeff D'Angelo wants to pay Book Richardson directly. And Christian is talking to somebody else. He's talking to Manish Sood. And he's like, listen, I don't know why this dude wants to pay Book. Like, what does he think Book is going to do for him? Is he like just a fan of Book or like they can't make sense of why Jeff D'Angelo wants to pay Book Richardson. And obviously the reason they can't make sense of it because it makes no sense, except they're trying to set this whole thing up. Um, He says it over and over again about one thing after another. This makes no sense. This makes no sense. And you're exactly right. At one point, Moral Code is like, yo, man, we got to get some background on these people. And to me, that's where a light finally goes off in somebody's head. And, you know, like Merle, I think it was Merle said, look, I'm doing Google searches on these people. I can't find nothing. And so to me, this is just common sense. You got this guy, Jeff D'Angelo, 
He's in real estate. He's in the club scene, Miami, New York. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. He's throwing it around. He don't pop up on a Google search anywhere. That's a problem. Yeah. You, if you don't pop up on a Google search anywhere, that's a that is a that's the reddest of flags. And I, you know, the idea that they were willing to just say, oh, well, you know, whatever is just absolutely insane to me. <laughs> well, yeah. And it starts before we get to that point, because remember Dawkins and the, the, the part with the um, with the tape that was played that you just referenced, that was played in court. So I, I, there were some of uh, those tapes that I was hearing back again. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when they played some of the some some of the wiretaps. It was like they played them like five times in court but he pushed backs on paying the coach's scheme because it makes no sense and to his credit he's right he just didn't understand in the moment there because d'angelo needs him to be willing to do that to establish the bribery charges for the feds by looping in the coaches right so d'angelo is coming just short of threatening to stop funding the scheme if the coaches are a part not a part of it because you need that to begin with and then there's a call between Dawkins and D'Angelo on June 28, 2017, which that may or may not be the day of that draft. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, it's the same uh, day, time of period, where uh, Book Richardson and Merle Code go to the hotel, surreptitious video, which was shown on the documentary, and then they are given money, which eventually gets them in hot water down the road. See, Dawkins, GP, he was, he was smart, but not smart enough. Like... And I guess you can't blame him because, again, this is the first time ever the FBI was involved. In, like, like we need to take ourselves back to when the story went public and how much of a, oh, my God, what are you talking about? Ten people just got arrested in college basketball has been part of a sting by the federal. Like, it was a just mind-blowing story when it was publicly revealed. So in the midst of this you know, investigation, if you will, like you're not going to make that leap because, again, it kind of circles back to the idea of like what is the federal government doing here to begin with? And so that's why I think they couldn't quite get to that point. Like there is no precedent to it. And you're right, though. Last thing for me. On the July 7, 2017 call, Dawkins says to Sood, who eventually turned – like he eventually says, okay, I'll – I'll cooperate to you know avoid jail time or reduce jail time. He said, Dawkins goes, people going to think that they're honestly being set up. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Why the F does he, meaning D'Angelo, care so much? I almost want to figure out, like, this mother effer trying to do some crazy you-know-what. But he didn't know. But he was so like, I don't get why this guy is so obsessed with wanting to pay the coaches, wanting to get to know the coaches. He doesn't understand. These people don't know who he is. If he starts being involved in their world, like if he thinks that he can go to Arizona's practice and just show up with me and be like, yo, this is my boy Jeff, that doesn't work in any kind of realm. Like Dawkins understood the game to that extent, and that's why he was just so like, what, what, what? But he couldn't get away from it because – he, the guy was funding him without Jeff D'Angelo and Jill Bailey, the other undercover agent. Like He does not have Lloyd management live out your dream. That doesn't happen. He needs that money, and so that's why he keeps stringing him along, stringing along, trying to run a con on him without realizing he's being conned the whole time. I think you, I can actually understand, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, I've heard people subsequent to all of this say, why would you say all that stuff on a cell phone if you're Will Wade, Sean Miller, Christian Dawkins? Because there was no precedent for your your phone's going to be wiretapped, you know, like by the FBI that somebody's actually listening to this phone call. Like you just don't even – it's not even in your head. I, I think it's in coaches' heads now, whether it should be or not. I, I promise you coaches don't talk as freely on the phone now as they once did. But in that moment, there's no reason to think anybody else is is in on this phone call. No, no, no. No, no actual reason um, to the I don't understand why Jeff D'Angelo wants to pay the coaches so much. Like, obviously, that's a red flag. He's keep pu- he's keep he continues to push you to do something you keep telling him makes no sense and is a waste of money. But it's but he still wants to do it with his money. Like, that's an obvious red flag. But if, if I'm being honest, I can understand how if you're Christian Dawkins, you convince yourself. But but it's not it's not a problem. Like, you know, and it's exactly what you said. I can I can I can break away from this guy right now and try to get out of this because I'm starting to question what's going on here. I'm starting to question who this person is. But then your 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 management company's done like this is where you're getting all the money for that. So you believe 
what you want to believe. And people do this. You tell yourself whatever you got to tell yourself to, to, to allow yourself to believe what it is you want to believe. And people do this in all walks of life every single day. Uh, apples to oranges here, but you'll get the point. I got a buddy, a single, single guy, and he's you know on dating apps and that kind of stuff. And he had met a girl at some point over the past year, and he'd met her on one of these apps. And he starts telling me about her. He's like, "Man, okay. I you know I met this girl. I've been I've been you know I talk to her every day." And I'm like, uh, "Oh, really? You know?" And I'm I'm like a 17 year old, so I'm like, uh, "Well, send me some pics. Let's see what it looks like." And so he sends me pictures and she is a knockout, right? Like, like a 10 on a, not that we should be rating people on their looks, but you, get, yeah, she, she's a 10. It's a compliment. All yeah. right. And she, she's like 24 years old and supposedly successful and the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And with all due respect to my friend, like this ain't really the type of girl that I, I see him dating. All right. So I'm like, uh, wow, that that she th- th- this sounds great, man. So like, what have you done? Have you met her yet? You go. I mean, like, have you gone to dinner? Like, how, how often have you been out? Like, she's been over at your place. Like, he's like, well, I haven't seen her in person yet. I'm like, well, what do you mean you haven't seen her in person yet? I, I said, how long have you been talking to her? He's like a, a month two, you know, three weeks, a month, something like that. I said, and you talk to her every day? He said, yeah, every day. But you haven't met her in person. He said, no. I said, she lives in the same city as you. He said, yeah. I said, dude, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I was like, this is not a real person. You know that, right? He's like, no, well, she is a real person. I was like, how do you know she's a real person? I said, "Um, have you ever FaceTimed her? He said, well, she doesn't have FaceTime on her phone. (laughs) I said, what do you mean she doesn't have FaceTime on her phone? What are you talking about? And I said, look at your, look at, I said, so what, you just text her and talk to her? He said, oh, yeah. Gosh. I said, look at your text message right now. Is it just a normal text message or is it iMessages? He's like, uh, he looked, he's like, what's well, iMessages? I said, okay, she's got an iPhone. She has FaceTime. No, she said she doesn't. She's not real. <laughs> this is not who you think it is. That's why she won't FaceTime with you. And he said, no, but like, listen, she sent me a video. I said, okay, she sent you a video that's not her. He said, no, 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 but she says my name in the video. So she's talking to me and it's, and it's the girl in the video. It's the same girl that I've seen pictures of. I said, send me the video. So he sends me the video and it's of this woman. And, and she's, it's the same woman in the picture. She's gorgeous. And she's talking into the camera and she's saying all sorts of ridiculous stuff. And then she pans the camera down away from her head. Mm -hmm. And that's when she says his name. And I said, you really – I mean this, this all took me two minutes to figure out. I said, you really don't understand what just happened there. Do you realize she didn't say your name until the phone wasn't on her face? That means that entire thing is just somebody just – there's an app for that. I'm certain you just took and talk over somebody else's video. And she says your name when it's not on her face so you don't see your lips moving. This is not a real person. And he said, oh, "Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text her right now and tell her that if she doesn't accept my FaceTime right now or meet me tomorrow, then we're done." I said, "Okay, I can't wait to hear how this goes." Communication completely cut off. Yeah. That was the end of it. And and, and so like, oh, again, it, it took me three minutes to figure out from a distance. Was this Vernon? It was not Vernon. Vernon's a married man. He'd never be involved in this. I know. And uh, and and so I'm like. So and, and this guy's a smart guy. So the question becomes, well, how did he not recognize this was too good to be true? And it's because he because he wanted it to be true so badly that he was willing to ignore all of the red flags. And Christian Dawkins did the exact same thing. He wanted this whole thing to be true so badly that he was willing to ignore undeniable red flags. And I understand, can't understand how um, he could ignore most of them. Like, I don't know why this guy wants to keep paying coaches. It makes no sense. You could chalk that up in the moment if you're trying to believe this is real. You could chalk it up to, well, the guy's just stupid. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he, th- like he, he's not, he's not setting me up. He's just an idiot. And with a lot of money, he thinks this will work. I know it won't work. Just let the idiot do what he wants to do. I see how you could talk yourself into that. But when you start doing Google searches and you can't find nothing on these people, 
to me, that's a red flag that you can't just you can't let that one go. And then it all culminates where he's in Atlanta. This is the day before all of the other arrests. Dawkins is arrested first. The other nine get arrested um, across the country the next morning. But he flies to New York thinking at this point the undercover agent Jeff is out of the picture because he's been taken off the case. But all is well because he's always liked uh, the female undercover agent Jill Bailey. And who, by the way, this didn't get into the documentary, but she played a significant role prior to this in meeting Tony Bland in Los Angeles and meeting Book Richardson in Arizona and getting more stuff on tape to implicate those men and actually try and push the investigation further along to try and get the head coaches. Um, like she was a, a very, a, a very, um, I think persuasive, but not in a suspicious way kind of person. Just doing, uh, frankly, she seems like she was probably extremely good at her job, right? And so, um, so she helps uh, schedule this meeting with Dawkins. He thinks he's going to New York at the W to take the next big step. And the next thing you know, uh, just the facade comes crumbling down. He sees it's not just her in the room; it's a couple of other guys with computers, and he doesn't. It can't even. Obviously, it doesn't doesn't register at first, and then it really clicks when he says Sean Miller calls him, and then there's another phone right next to him, and it's the same exact. Like the phones are the same. Like it says Sean Miller on his phone, it says Sean Miller on the other phone. They're like, we got all your calls. He's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And then he starts to sweat, takes off his shirt, and they give him the uh, the option. What's interesting, and as we the know, other moment like that, by the way, is when he says that after he got out of jail, he went to the ATM, put his ATM card just in, and kept it. it. <laughs> He's like, I've never seen any shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just kept my card. We're insane. That was, a, uh, that was an interesting little <laughs> anecdote there. Um, but they, they – and we'll get to the coaches here in just a second. But, like, they're like, all right, here's your chance. Give up Rick Pitino. And he's like, Rick Pitino? He doesn't know anything that's going on. And I do believe Dawkins on that, by the way. And and through, like, having sat through both, like, I actually, listen, Patino being back, it's a hell of a comeback story, Iona. And he deserved to be fired at Louisville. But I actually do, and I, we've said this on the podcast, I actually do believe in this particular case, Patino, although he should have known and should have been like, hmm, why is Brian Bowen committing to me at the end of May when there were all these, like, he should have known. Oh, but, by the way, it's the same thing. It's the same thing we're talking of about. Of course. You don't believe it because you it's too good to be true. You know it's not right, but, like, you want it to be true. So you just uh, – I'm just going to – you know, I'm a Hall of Fame coach. Exactly. So they're like, give up Andy Miller. Give up Rick Patino, And he's like, I'll, I'll give up Marty Blazer. He doesn't count, dude. He's already on our team. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work. And so he's like – all right, I'm going to need a lawyer. And then that's where, like, it genuinely must be terrifying. He referred to them as machine guns. I think they're just, you know, uh, automatic rifles, whatever the verbiage you want to use there. But then, like, they just storm in. And who knows if it's 5, 10, who knows? But then you're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, you got, you know, war weaponry right in your face. And then uh, and then so on and so forth. So, anyway, that is the Dawkins side of it. And um, all that stuff preceded once we got to the, the wiretaps and, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, I thought it did a fairly – good job at at telling the story of criticism or not like you can slam the government for, I won't disagree with you on a lot of fronts there but how we got to that point and then once you got to the trial it just didn't get too far into the weeds and explained a lot of the things that needed explaining um one more thing before we get to the will wade sean miller part of the documentary and it's a question that they present and by they i mean christian dawkins and his attorney um toward the end which is like a three-year FBI investigation that spends who knows how much money, um, taxpayer dollars, and it's to like it doesn't get bigger than Christian Dawkins. Like what? Why? And it seems clear. I mean, I shouldn't say it seems clear. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a prosecutor. Um, but seems like you could go bigger than Christian Daw- like you I don't know which coach you could have got Will Wade Sean Miller somebody else entirely but the idea that this never went where most people thought it would go and certainly not where um the uh, um acting US attorney June Kim back in September 2017 where he suggested it would go why do you think they basically just said all right this is it 
and didn't go for a quote unquote big fish. I because I, honestly, I think they didn't have it. Now they went for it as long as they could. This is in part speculation on my part, and in part just having followed it and gone to the trials. Um, they probably hit a point here. Uh, two two factors. One where. Th- for all we know, someone above these people, boss, to say, you know what, we're not doing this anymore. Like, it's time to wrap it up. We got enough to bring charges. We got enough to win, if you will. It's time. That decision could have been made for wh- for whatever whatever reasons. I think that's possible. I also think um, they could have thought, all right, we got assistance at Arizona. We got assistance at Oklahoma State. And we got assistance at Auburn, at USC. That's four big schools. And we've got wiretaps because remember there are other schools have been brought into this as well that are still going to face potential sanctions from, I mean you just name it Creighton, DePaul, the list goes on and on. So you got those as well. So they might have thought we've got enough here to potentially get guys to flip and give us coaches. So I think that was also it. It was, and they had by the way when they made the arrests. Maybe they thought, okay, look at this. We have a roster of 10. Like, we have a roster of 10 guys that we're going to go and arrest. And through that, we think our intel is good enough. We know the tapes that we have. We can get bigger fish. Obviously, way more bark than bite. Now, the bite wasn't insignificant. Everyone was charged in the case. Everyone was pleaded guilty or was found guilty. And you have... Merle Code, Jim Gatto, Christian Dawkins, Book Richardson, like all of them either having served time or are set to serve time pending appeal. So uh, the government got its W's. It just didn't get big ones there. And I don't think it obviously it didn't anticipate not getting the bigger stuff. But yeah, when it comes to like Dawkins is again retelling problematic narrator and narrator in some respects, but like, all right, now's the time. Give us Rick Patino. It's like, what? No. So, yeah, in many ways, it was a, uh, a a huge waste of resources. But and and who knows if it's going to lead to personally, like, I think that when this gets out there, it's going to have some impacts on the cases that are going. But, um, yeah, it's trust me, GP, it, it does leave me with more questions about, like, was all this like, was it worth it? No. I mean, it was interesting, and it sure helped us pass the time and take a deeper look into some college basketball. Like, I think that was true. But uh, those who were critical early of the federal government for spending all this taxpayer money on this, I think those people had a point. You mentioned Creighton. Um, I meant to go look at Dan Wetzel's mentions because at some point he's talking about, you know, this school was willing to do 100000 This school is willing to do 150000 He's like, some of them aren't even like, Big time basketball programs like Creighton, Creighton really willing to do a hundred thousand dollars, and I wonder if Creighton fans are pissed off about that. Like, yeah, hey, we just won the Big East, jerk. Top we, five we, team next year. What do we do? Uh, hey, yeah, listen, we, it is. We, it is, we, it is we can buy players like we can buy players like everybody else. We just won the Big East. We're not in the Missouri Valley Conference anymore. I, I, I wonder how Creighton fans yeah. feel about Wetzel saying like, really, seriously, Creighton's out there trying to spend a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's it's those. It'll be interesting to see in regard to all of that. By the way, if uh, if our current COVID nineteen situation winds up pushing back some of this stuff, and so I wouldn't be surprised if it did in, in regard to all these schools that have been caught up with it. All right. So the big questions heading into it for most people is like, what is it going to mean for Sean Miller? What is it going to mean for Will Wade? And we're going to get into that next. But first. Let me tell you about Coors Light. Do you ever feel like you're always on, never relaxing? I know I do, and that's no way to live. It's important to turn off every once in a while, and Coors Light is perfect for that. That's Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment. There's only one beer literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. As the summer months draw closer, you're going to want cold refreshments. Coors Light is perfect for that. It's brewed with a three-step cold process, cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978, Coors Light is refreshing, crisp, and only 102 calories. That's why Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to relax. You should choose it too. So when you want to reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, just 102 calories. And as always, remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Light, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. 
So, Norlander, the big question going into it for most people is, what is this going to mean, if anything, for Sean Miller? What, if anything, is this going to mean for Will Wade? What do you think now? Um, my suspicion is that this doesn't improve either situation, and I think I said this a few podcasts back. I just think it's worse for Will Wade. Um, you know, my story has transcriptions. I'm sure many people listening to the podcast have actually has actually have actually seen the documentary. I understand some of you haven't, and so you're kind of flying blind through this. You might not have HBO or anything like that. But um, Will Wade lays out. You know, he, he he openly jokes with Dawkins about being able to play players better than the the G League, or as he refers to, I think, in the doc, uh, the D League, because it was the D League at that point, the D League minimum, stuff like that. There are multiple uh, references to that. You have Dawkins on camera saying that he interpreted both of his conversations with Wade and Miller to be based around money. Neither is outright, okay? It's not overt. Uh, but I would think that the schools that employ those coaches are aware. Now they're aware for sure, but they were aware previously. Particularly I say that with Wade because he had to have significant contract restructuring happen to where like he just has no leniency with his deal and so because of that i'm inclined to believe that he was able to keep his job uh and good on him and his lawyer for making that happen but gp my question to you is this like you just watched the documentary you heard the tapes you get a better sense of what i was telling you with miller and then you compare that to Wade. Like, I had three coaches text me, like, "How does Will Wade still have a job? When's he going to be fired?" We're not rooting for it to happen, but it's just a nature of what he says. GP, you heard what he said, how he said it. You heard the context. Like, how how could LSU justify returning him as their coach whenever next season arrives? Because they want him to be. I mean, like. Listen, I, I do think the, the hearing it is different than reading it. It, it is. Just, it, 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 I think that's true with Sean Miller as well. Hearing it, it's different than than reading it. But I guess I'd say this: like, and and I, nobody, I I cannot take seriously anybody who tries to say what I'm saying, what I'm about to say is not true. Sean Miller and Will Wade were both undeniably on a wiretap talking about cheating and their willingness to cheat. There's no getting around that. I think that is accurate. Miller comes off hip to the game. He praises Wade. He's not as overt about it. Dawkins himself says, this is his direct quote in the documentary, after they play the Miller stuff. And the Miller stuff is preceded by, like, book and Dawkins talking about Miller having paying eight and ten thousand a month and stuff like that, which has never been proven. But regardless, Dawkins says, "Yeah, it was no question. The conversation all about money. I think. I mean, for my interpretation, Sean maybe speaks a different language than me, but I'm pretty sure we could all agree that's we was talking about what needed to happen to get it done, and they were referring to the recruitment of Nasir Little. Right. And this is a conversation we talked about in a previous podcast. Like Sean is asking Christian Dawkins who he needs to deal with to get the Nasser Little deal done. Christian Dawkins says these are the two guys and they definitely want something because they've been taking care of the situation. Sean says, well, Miami doesn't have an advantage over us in that area, do they? I mean, there's no sensible way to interpret that other than Sean is saying, who do we need to take care of? Who who do we need to to, to provide an impermissible benefit to to get Nasser Little Christian Dawkins says it's these guys, and they definitely want something for themselves. And Sean says, okay, when it comes to you know providing an impermissible benefit to people who want something for themselves, Miami doesn't have an advantage. Miami's not going to out-cheat us, are they? That's, the, that's what that conversation is. He is, and the way that it could be interpreted is that Miller is saying to Dawkins, "You are, are you willing to kind of negotiate to get this done on our behalf?" And then that's when Dawkins say, "I'll say this: Miami does have Adidas." Again, it is important to note Miami was later proven to have never been involved in illicit recruitment of Nasir Little. Period. Which it all you know 
this stuff is just so convoluted. But like, what you're saying is true. But also, Dawkins is a con man, and he was talking out of his rear because what That's he fine, was but saying was. I know, I know, I know. But what he he was presenting a situation that was not. Re- reality in regard to the recruitment in this year, little. That's all. That, that that's fine with me. That doesn't change what Sean Miller said. Mm-hmm. Sean Miller wanted to know if there's somebody that needs to be taken care of. Who is that person? Christian Dawkins t- explains to him that there. These are the the. You know, Sean's trying to figure out who's more important. This guy, or that guy. Uh, you know, Christian's like, listen, they 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 definitely want something. There, there's no way to interpret that other than, and Christian Dawkins says it subsequently, like, yeah, we're ta- I'm from my perspective, we're talking money. Christian Dawkins is telling him, like, these people are going to want something in, like, parentheses, in violation of NCAA rules. And Sean Miller's like, now, Miami doesn't have an advantage over us. The only way to interpret that is Miami, Miami can't out-cheat us, can they? I mean, that, that's what he is saying. Again, I can't take seriously anybody who, who argues otherwise. And then the other conversation that's problematic is between Book and Richardson and Christian Dawkins. So this is Sean Miller's lead assistant dating back to his days at um, Xavier. Like, like Book worked with yeah. Sean. Bef- like He took him to Arizona with him from Xavier. And Christian are talking. And Book is telling Christian that Sean Miller is doing 10000 a month for DeAndre Ayton. And Christian then tells Book, he told me he's getting killed on the deal. So you got Sean Miller's assistant and this other character who we know's got a relationship with with Sean Miller because like we got wiretaps of them talking very comfortably. That ain't the first time they've ever been on the phone. When you you could say whatever you want about Christian Dawkins or Sean Miller, that conversation comes across like two people who are very comfortable talking to each other. All right? So you got assistant coach and another guy who's got a relationship with Sean Miller. They are both saying Sean Miller is cheating. They're both saying uh, – one of them saying he's doing it for 10000 a month, and the other one's saying, yeah, I know, and he told me he's getting killed on this deal. Now, are they – neither one of them knows they're being wiretapped. Neither one of them knows anybody's listening. <laughs> are they both lying uh, about they, Sean Miller? Honestly, GP, I, I, I am – they could be a. They are two BSers that might be BSing each other because as if you talk to anyone who is dealing, it can be true. Let me be clear about that. But if you talk to anyone who will really give you a straight conversation about the realities of all the BS twists and turns you can run into in college recruiting on the assistant side, on the runner side, they say that these conversations can present themselves and be based on almost absolutely nothing other than hearsay. Fine. I'm just, I'm, I, I find it impossible to believe that those two people are just having what they believe is a casual con, you know, conversation that we've all had with friends. You're just talking to each other, and they're both lying or making up things about somebody who's not even involved in the conversation. And they're both saying the same things about the guy. I just don't, I don't believe that's true. Now, is it enough to get Sean Miller fired? No, I don't think so. I think Sean Miller's going to continue to coach at Arizona. But do I believe that Sean Miller was doing anything other than talking about cheating on that wiretap with Christian Dawkins? No, I don't believe that. And do I think Book and Christian Dawkins were both just making things up about Sean Miller cheating as it related to DeAndre Ayton? No, I don't believe that. And then, like, don't ever forget Larnell. (laughs) We never forget Larnell on this podcast. I mean, we know that there was a market for DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, oh, yeah. TJ Gasdola paid Larnell. Yes, that's that's yeah, that's already been established. Yes. Yeah, so don't ever forget that. Like uh, TJ Gasnola is out there buying whoever he can buy. He like he, he and but not he for Arizona. Any- just to be clear, not for not for Arizona because he missed out because he tried to help out Adidas and is Arizona not an Adidas school. No, just, my, my yeah. point is TJ Gasnola was trying to buy DeAndre Ayton and got nowhere. And then, so like DeAndre Ayton went to Arizona for nothing. Uh, no I, like, no way, on. no way. That's the case. Yeah. Okay. So we know. No way. Like, his family did not receive money before uh, his college career began. All right. So we know De- DeAndre Ayton was for sale. We know he was bought. We know he went to Arizona. We know Sean Miller's on the t- wiretap with Christian Dawkins talking about cheating, and we know that Book Richardson's on a wiretap with Christian Dawkins, and they're both talking about Sean Miller cheating. If you want to convince yourself there's nothing there, knock yourself out. But I'll never believe it. Here's one more quote for people who might not have seen the documentary yet or, or aren't able to, because Dawkins asks. Then Dawkins asked Miller about Nas Reed, 
uh, and if he thinks he can get him. And Miller goes, no, he's going to LSU. We're not even bringing him on a visit. He's not even visiting. That's all BS. Like, I'm looking at our recruiting board. He's not even on it. I never even talked to the kid. All this effing hype uh, shit on the phone, it's stupid. He probably just said, you know what? F you, I don't want 75, I want 120, I may go to Arizona, that's all that was. And then Dawkins says, and Will Wade, I said, Will Wade is driving up the price of, because he's not even doing like real numbers. And Miller says, I'll tell you what, I give him credit, he's got a big set of balls on him. (laughs) And then Dawkins says, yeah, no, Will Wade doesn't give an F, Sean. So again, it's conversations and snippets like that that provide a window into, yeah, Sean Miller was hip to the game, knew what was going on, but he also... Like, when it came to the Reed thing, like, he knew. He was like, that dude, again, according to Sean Miller and Dawkins, uh, in the same way that Dawkins and Book could have been talking about Sean, it's like, that dude's getting paid to go to LSU, and he or someone around him is trying to drive up his price, and so he's throwing in all these phony schools. What would have happened probably is Reed might have included Arizona in some regard on a list, or I don't even know. But What what does it say when, if you're trying to drive up the price to LSU, (laughs) you say... You better watch out for Arizona. And Will Wade's like, oh, no, not Arizona. <laughs> They'll outbid me for sure. I know. I, again, and just like to bring this all back around, this wasn't in the doc, but like when I covered the trial, you've got Book caught on a wiretap saying that he had a conversation at a recruiting event in July with Will Wade where they're like openly talking about how much, you know, Will can get players to go to LSU, and if Book would be willing to come and work for him instead of Sean, like the whole thing is just like, just <laughs> ridiculous. But hey, it was it was entertaining, right, GP? And at least like some of the wiretaps brought the goods. I mean, it wasn't a complete letdown. No, I, I again, I enjoyed the documentary. And just one last thing on, because uh, we focus most of this on Sean. I think it's listen. It's crystal clear to me that he was talking about cheating and and expressing a willingness to cheat. Um, it's even like it's, uh, it's even undeniable. more crystal clear with Will. It's undeniable. It's undeniable with Will. And so um, I want to make sure that that's that's clear. Like if you're Sean, I guess you could probably spin it in some way, and you know some you know and and and. You know, an Arizona fan who lives on a message board will will believe it and nitpick your words and try to frame it. Well, it didn't really say this. It didn't really mean that. I just, again, I got no respect for that. Like, Sean Miller was doing exactly what he was doing. Is it enough going to get him fired? Probably not. But, like, he was open. He was discussing his willingness to cheat, and he had his lead assistant talking about calling him a cheater on a wiretap. You'll never get around that from my perspective. With Will, there's nothing you can say. I mean, there's no like there is no way to interpret the words coming out of Will Wade's mouth as anything other than a he was willing to cheat to get Javante smart. He was trying to cheat to get Javante smart. And the other thing that gets talked about less is he compares the Javante smart deal to other deals that he's done for players who are just as good that weren't as complicated as this one. So not only is he on a wiretap talking about, I'm trying to cheat to get get this Javante Smart deal done, but I just can't get it done yet. He's saying, dude, I've I've done deals like this before for players that are just as good as Javante Smart. They ain't never been this complicated. Like he's incriminating himself all over the place. And yet, yeah, I still think, you know, I still think he'll probably, because at least with Will, we heard it. But we, there's no new words from Will Wade in this documentary. And if you're LSU right. and if you, you've already signed off on those words, yeah, I I think he still remains LSU's coach. Yeah, and I mean, but honestly, then you've got the, uh, you know, the people that uh, that work with the NCAA that will have watched this and uh, will take this and and use it to just just to throw a show cause on Will Wade. I think it's just that I think it's that incriminating that whenever they get to that case. Uh, that could wind up being, and then they have no choice. So LSU can continue to do this. It might not, uh, but I, I, I think that it knows this information. I think that, and that's why that he has stayed on. Um, and but with a contract that is not nearly as friendly as it once was, and then it's just going to be in NCAA's hands. And when the NCAA has that, I think that it will, it will levy a significant uh, punishment on Will Wade. Uh, but yeah, he is. T- t- Miller's the bigger name, but Wade is comes off to me just way worse than that. And it's just, it's just totally casual, like. Uh, multiple references in, in, to, in different scenarios to a willingness to pay players. Uh, oh, it, I, I should bring up, it's not even Javante. It's also Jaron Cumberland 
he's no no he's no it's 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 Jerome, uh it's blossom game that's John, not... but yeah blossom game what did i say cumberland <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's blossom game he's yeah. talking about like i'll pay that dude too he's like we'll wait on a wiretap talking about i'll pay everybody it's it's, it's like it's it's um it, it's funny. You mentioned you were getting texts from coaches. I, I was too. I just got one while we were talking like 10 minutes ago from a head coach, a major conference head coach. And he was like, dude, how do they still have jobs? Talking about Sean and Will. That and, was the question before this. And now it will only be amplified all all that more. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're successful coaches. I guess that's the simplest answer. They're successful coaches. They are. Well, I mean, listen, this was, this was a way to spice up, uh, you know, uh, uh, an off season that has already felt half as long as a normal off season to begin with, and we'll see if anything. I don't know if anything is going to come with from this in the short term. GP again, we are in the midst of uh, a COVID nineteen pandemic that is presenting just profound impact on the world, on our country, where we live, all parts, all parts of the United States, and. Obviously, by comparison, what's happening uh, and what is detailed in this documentary is just nothing compared to what we have going on. But I do think that college athletics will find itself in a, a bit of a an interesting position in that you still got to try the cases. But are they going to be pushed back? Like, even logistical stuff. Like, you know, for coaches that have not yet met with the NCAA and had their big sit-down as part of the um infractions process are they going to be even are they can they can they even function in indianapolis to do things like they normally do or are they just going to do skype interviews and i'm talking everyone from a bill self to a will Wade to a sean miller and coaches that have or haven't reached that point yet we don't know and so this actually has the potential to drag on a bit longer Whereas I didn't think that was initially the case, I do think that is going to be the case here. We might have some schools with resolution later this summer, early fall. Others could simply uh, continue to drag on because just the mere fact of, of the NCAA operating the way that we're operating now, it's not that they can't operate from home and remotely, they are, but I think a lot of the pieces that go into the enforcement process and then the Committee on Infractions just might wind up getting stalled because of everything that's happening. Yeah, um, I don't. Th- I don't. It, n- nothing in our country is working the way it used to work. So I don't know why NCAA cases would work the way they 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 used to work. I'm, I'm assuming that everything is is slowed down. And it, it, it is important to note that as we're talking about relatively totally unimportant things like college basketball coaches cheating, like who cares when you know, yeah. you know that nine hundred people are dying a day in this country, um, you know, like it. it while we're laughing and having fun and honestly just sort of escaping the real life issues, um, you know, it, 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 there was, I mean, there's been multiple sports connections to uh, COVID-19 in, in recent days, but I'm assuming you saw the story with Buddy Baker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know him. I didn't know who he was until today, but yes, the NFL agent. Yeah. Uh, well, he's also like the way I know him is um, he's Conzo Martin's agent. Oh, and, okay. And um, just heartbreaking, his story. I mean, both of his parents were healthy two weeks ago, and they both um, tested positive for coronavirus, and they both died. Like, he just lost both of his healthy parents to to coronavirus, and they died six minutes apart? Yeah. I mean, what? And we're getting more and more of these stories. It was just, oh, by the way, like, just three weeks ago, Three weeks ago tonight, I was at the CAA tournament. Think about that. Isn't that crazy? It, it is. Uh, it's a motif as of late, but I do identify with it. I cannot believe that was only three weeks ago. It's just the days, you know, climbing the walls here. I, I, I hit up a big shopping run earlier today, and... Like it was the first time I went and I think we made it 12 days. My kids won't stop eating, man, but we made it 12 days and we really like depleted our supply. And I don't know when we're getting back to normal. Like it, it, it is a fact of life, but like, I can't believe 
And I didn't want to feel this way, but I can't even believe the amount of anxiety I had going to the grocery store. Like, it was just like, okay, well, because they tell you don't wear gloves. I was like, all right, I'm not going to wear gloves. I'm definitely not touching my face. And uh, if, uh, if I have it on me, well, I, I came home, wiped down the stuff, hopped in the shower immediately, and I hope that did the job. We can only do so much, but um, the only way I'll connect to what we're saying here, I know we've kind of pivoted un- unintentionally, but um, I mentioned in previous podcasts how I did a couple of stories on the questions with coaches. And then after having published those, I've just you know casually had conversations with a number of coaches. And, um, you know, we are – it's interesting to see, like, the NFL had a, a, a media call on Wednesday. It's like, as of right now, yeah, we are planning season on time with fans, et cetera, et cetera. And when I read that stuff, I'm like, this is what they said about the NCAA tournament. It's just it's just a longer timeline. But this is what they said about the NCAA tournament. And then everything changed in a three-day period here. And a couple of coaches I spoke with this week either asked me or it came up organically in conversation about the college football season. And there is a lot of pessimism that college football can hold a season, certainly not hold it with fans. When you look at these new timelines, guidelines, you see that China's basketball organization wanted to resume soon. It's not going to be able to. Um, It's just stark reminders of how much longer we have to go. We are so happy to provide you with the occasional podcast here. We love doing it, but there is just a bigger picture here and it's 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 scary and I know this country wants its football, needs its football. One power conference coach told me that I mean, if we got to a situation where there was no college football, like it is a, a nightmare is not even a strong enough word in terms of the health and viability of the college athletic model going forward. So just know that those concerns now, we as we record this, we went officially from March, see you March, I love you this month and I've never hated a month more in my entire life, into April now, those concerns already creeping up. And I'm only talking to college basketball coaches who are kind of getting this sort of filtered from maybe their football colleagues or their athletic directors. This kind of stuff is really starting to permeate. We are going to have an interesting month here because as by the time we get to the end of April and who the hell knows, GP, who knows what that's going to look like. I think we're going to have a clearer picture nonetheless on baseball, the NBA, what those leagues can and can't do and how that will impact the NFL and I think more poignantly college football, which does not have the same kind of flexibility. And, oh, by the way, its labor force is not paid like the NFL. You mentioned that you know people are saying we're planning to, to have football season. Like Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, the other day said you know he was planning as if football season will go off as normal. And that's fine. You can plan for whatever you want. But like – Nobody like nobody knows. There aren't any answers. I mean, you know, you you listen to Doctor Doctor Fauci or Governor Cuomo, who is just quoting medical experts. I thought he had a nice moment today on TV. He said, you know, because people kept asking him, "What does he think?" And he said, "Listen, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm not an expert on this. What I, all I do is I ask the the scientists and the medical officials, what do you think?'" And then they use data to tell me what it is they think, and then I just tell you what they think. What I think is totally irrelevant. He said the truth is nobody can tell you when this is going to be over. Nobody can tell you when we're going to get back to normal, and that's the truth right now. It doesn't mean we won't know know better than we know now three weeks from now or a month from now, but anybody right now trying to tell you they know if we're going to play football, how we're going to play football, they're just guessing. Um, they, they, there's there's no way to know that. I will say this. You know, if, if you believe we're not going to have a vaccine, you know, for at least a year, um, which seems we won't. We right. like, we we literally can't. And I I think more people realize that. But the at least as I have read, again, based off of the medical experts in the field, the very fundamental nature of a human clinical trial and getting a vaccine is you have to inject what you hope will work into human beings. They have to live with it for a certain amount of time, like a year to make sure the vaccine doesn't backfire on the human body. So this, like, we're not going to, there's no like, okay, it's mid July and oh my God, there's a vaccine available to everyone. That's not happening. So it's all about having potential 
medication that can reduce the effects, and that can come sooner, but even still, the timeline on that isn't known. The vaccine is the ultimate hopeful endgame here, but even like the flu exists, and you get your flu shot, but it's not like the measles vaccine, if you will, GP. So we might not even get to a point ever with it. There are so many unknowns, but I think that's an important point to remember, uh, to remind people of, is, listen, we're all in this together. At least I, I, I want to believe that we are, and it, some of the stuff that we've seen come about on social media, television, like it's been actually inspiring as hell, um, and then there's the frustrating things we see on a daily basis. But just in regards specifically to sports, pick the sport. Aside from maybe Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods being able to pull off this thing, which I think all of us would love to see, even though they did it once before, we're just starving for this rice. But um, you have to figure out a way that you can have competitions and not have any ch- like a zero percent chance of any sort of flare up there. Flare up there. So keep that in uh, keep that in mind going forward. It's it's the most critical component and answers still aren't on the forefront because they haven't come on the other side of the world yet where countries like South Korea are way ahead of our pace, but they're still not where they want to be yet. Well, one of the plans the Premier League is exploring, I read this weekend, is to just take all of their teams, put them in London, quarantine them, test them every day. No, you know, and, and to do the same thing with the cameraman, no fans, and you play all your matches in the same place, multiple matches a day, everything, you're playing seven days a week, um, uh, every game is televised, and basically you got to just quarantine the entire league. Uh, that, that's like the best plan that they can come up with, and it's, who knows if it's realistic, but like that's where they're at. My point being that you can't do that with college football teams. You nope. can't you can't uh, quarantine every college football team in the same place. And so even if you have no fans for college football, okay, you got a hundred football players on one side, another hundred on the other side, coaching staff, trainers, referees. That's a mass gathering on a football field. Now you're going to run out eleven dudes from this side, eleven dudes from that side. They're all going to hit each other, sweat on each other, cough on each other, talk to each other, spit on each other. Then they're going to go back to their sidelines. They're going to be around everybody else. And then we're going to fly them back to Tuscaloosa and Gainesville? It's just not practical. I'm preparing that we will not have football on the weekend that we're supposed to have football because it's hard to – I guess it's the simplest way to put it. When you just think about it, it's hard to understand how we could do it. Yeah, I I, I try to remain hopeful, but you got to be realistic about it as well. And you know, it just I think us. Listen, for those listening, like we hope we gave you some good convo. We got, by the way, surprise, surprise. We have three more podcasts coming for you this week. We'll get to in just a second as we wrap up this pod. But I think you and I having the jobs we have, and then the conversations we have with with people. Uh, I don't want to say necessarily behind the scenes, but, you know, we're trying to get a handle on what people are thinking. And when those people talk to us, they share some of their own expectations, conversations they've had. And this is where we're he- we're heading right now. I mean, it's only April 1st. And you said just three weeks ago you were at the CAA tournament. So, um, you know, we'll continue to bring you news and updates as they are relevant in the news cycle, uh, particularly specifically with college basketball. But uh, the sport itself is, is you know, it, its off season is just beginning, so it has it can be afforded some time. But we wait and see. I mean, maybe college hoops, which got so unlucky in losing its its premier event, maybe by the time we get to November, we have a situation in this country where we can actually have games start on time. But we're not even there for sure yet, uh, for sure yet either. All right, GP, as we uh, as we wrap here, because again, you and I, we love doing this. We've gone way long. Okay, mm-hmm. you want to give the people that are listening to this podcast. A heads up on uh, on the special little ditty we're going to be doing for them uh, this week. Okay, so CBS Sports has partnered with the Atlanta Tip-Off Club. And on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I believe at noon Eastern on CBS Sports HQ, we are going to be in charge of announcing the Naismith National Awards. So on Wednesday, I believe it will be the Naismith um, Men's and Women's Defensive Player of the Year. On Thursday, it'll be the Naismith Men's and Women's National Coach of the Year. And on Friday, it'll be the Men's and Women's National Players of the Year. And we will be discussing these on CBS Sports HQ, but we will also be recording um, an episode of the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball podcast in connection with each of these. So it's late Tuesday right now. Most of you probably aren't getting to this till Wednesday. Just know that by Wednesday afternoon, we will have another podcast dedicated specifically to the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year 
on Thursday, coach of the year. On Friday, player of the year. So um, it's a little um, different than the way we usually do these things, but we're going to knock out um, you know, quick podcast on each of those awards because it's super cool um, for the Atlanta Tip-Off Club to be partnering with CBS Sports to, to let us exclusively announce um, these big, historic national awards on CBS Sports HQ. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, listen, um, we talk about two-year-old Tony Hinkle. I mean, listen, uh, James Naismith is up there with the legend of two-year-old Tony Hinkle. So to have uh, the Naismith Awards be officially linked with CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ, that's pretty cool. So, again, those will be exclusively announced Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at noon Eastern, and you can watch it literally on any device uh, that you have. And GP and I will be involved uh, in those discussions on HQ. And then you'll have the podcast and a little, like, Coops only little quick uh, quick bursts of podcast to keep you guys and get girls occupied as we uh, as we drift toward the end of the week and into the weekend there. So a little bonus. If you are listening to this podcast right now, late on Wednesday, and realize, oh, my gosh, there's two in one day, well, now you know exactly why, and you can get to us there. But, uh, yeah, you'll get a four-pod week here before, really, college basketball's offseason truly settles in. i got one more big writing project that we're going to attach some pod chatter to next week, uh, and we are heading toward – you know, this this would have been. I would have. Uh, I guess we both would have flown into Atlanta uh, um, on Wednesday uh, to prepare for the Final Four. This would have been the Final Four weekend coming up, and then the upcoming Monday would have been truly the uh, the last day of the season. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, legend. Shouts to the homie Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably, five stars with nice comments and. Uh, We'll talk to you again later on Wednesday. Till then, take care. What's up? This is Barton Simmons. And I'm Bud Elliott. And this is the newly formed Barton and Bud Show. If you're looking for recruiting information, college football information, coaching analysis, how all those things intersect and come together, then you're in the right place and this is the podcast for you. This is your chance to eavesdrop on the conversations we have in the 24-7 sports office every week. Subscribe to the Barton and Bud Show wherever you get your podcasts.